Welcome in, everybody, to Sad Times, or the time where my voice gets real radio-like. It's my favorite part of the day, and I hope it's your favorite part of the day, too. My name's Kevin. For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times, Sad Times is a podcast and where we bring on a guest each week, and we talk about times they were upset, sad, traumatized, uh, any number of things, and we allow that person to tell their story. Uh, and I try to get out of the way. And the goal here is not to diagnose the problem, not to solve the problem, nor to judge the problem. It's about sharing an experience that maybe somebody at home uh, is listening and says, oh, I hear that. I feel a little less alone. I thought I was the only one who thought that. So that's the whole uh, that's the whole thing with the uh, sad times. Uh, this week, you know, we've been having to bring in and out advertisers. And uh, this week... Um, we do have a, a new advertiser. Uh, the advertiser is Overly Simplistic Solutions to Complex Problems. Uh, and they said, we are here to help you with an argument you may be having with your spouse about your relationship with simple solutions. Just ask Connor from California. And Connor said, my spouse was on my case about how I didn't empty the dishwasher enough. So I called up Overly Simplistic Solutions to Complex Problems for assistance. After I got off the call, I walked right back into the kitchen and said to her, you took a vow and left to go watch reruns of a corny to Jim. Thanks, overly simplistic solutions to complex problems. Wow. It's quite a sponsor. I, I might actually call them up. I, I have a lot of complex problems that need um, simplistic solutions, but. Enough of that. Let's get to this week's guest. Uh, this is somebody uh, I believe I've known the longest other than when my sister was on uh, of guests. Uh, this is my older cousin, Jen. Jen, how you doing? I'm good, Kevin. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Um, where I are you? I like how you emphasized older. Well, I didn't mean it that way. That, that was I'm, cool. Uh, yeah, well, Good. Uh, well, what I meant by that is I'm the youngest of the cousins. That's all. Uh, true. True. Mm. Okay. Um, nice walk back. Hey, you know, that's what they pay me for. Mm. Brent, are you paying me? Damn it. Okay. Uh, so Jen, where, where are you, uh, where are you dialing in from? I'm dialing in from my home, which is located in downtown Washington, DC, your nation's capital. That's right. And you... Have lived in that same home since 2006, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, I remember I came to visit you and, and your husband there um, when I was on my way to Richmond, Virginia, that fall of 2006. Uh, back then, things were a little different. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we should get it out of the way. You know, Jen, uh, you and I went to the same prestigious college in uh, the south of Illinois. We're not going to name it. It's just very prestigious. And. <laughs> what was your major in college? Political science. You don't say. Yeah. With a minor in museum studies. You have a minor? I didn't even have a minor. Yeah. Museum studies. What what kind of classes did you have to take to do that? So this prestigious university that you and I went to, I assume that you recall that there was a sizable museum. Mm-hmm. I do. So there was a um, pretty prestigious museum studies program. Um, so it was, there was art, there was art history, but there was also the, um, like curating exhibits, putting together exhibits, the research behind it. Um, so, yeah. So do you, do you still think about that? Like when you go to, obviously you are in a, a city that is lousy with museums, as they say. Correct. Do you think about that when you kind of are walking around, uh, maybe a Smithsonian museum or anything? Yeah, I will tell you actually, well, yeah, but the one that I really, um, nerded out to, if that's a thing anymore, um, as you being from Illinois, you know, that, uh, President Lincoln was assassinated at Ford's theater. And I live probably about five blocks north of Ford's theater. And right across the street is where they took him, uh, after he had been shot. And you can still tour that home. And they had the, the bed set up and it was the original bedding with, with the stains. That's the stains. Yeah. But anyway, I, I nerded out for about 30 minutes talking to the park ranger about, you know, how did they keep that, you know, pristine and, you know, how did they restore it and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, that was a long way of saying, yeah, I, it kind of crosses my mind from time to time. 
And I love that because um, I think, and we're going to get into a lot about DC while we discuss today, but I, I come to think that maybe the, the best moral lessons can be found in reading history. Uh, it seems to me it's, it, it just keeps, it tells you what's going on now by telling you about the past, right? History repeats itself, all that good stuff. So to be in a place with so much uh, history with, with, with so many landmarks, as I said earlier, museums, and then of course the Capitol itself, mm-hmm. uh, the white house, all that. I mean, that's just, you've lived in the DC area for what? 28 years. Is that right? Um, well, you really are dating me. Um, so I moved out here in 94. <laughs> yeah, you moved there when you were one. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so I uh, moved out here in 94 right after I graduated. Um, and I lived for a couple of years in a suburb called Silver Spring, Maryland, which is right across the D.C. border. Um, I think and I read about I that met- in a Tom Clancy novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I met my husband, uh, he was living downtown. And as our relationship progressed, I moved downtown too. Awesome. So I've, I've lived downtown since 2000. Wow. You know, okay. So 23 years. That's awesome. Um, and let's just get this out of the way. You and I came up, obviously we're from the same family. Uh, mm-hmm. You and I came up and I would say, I, I think it's fair to say, correct me if you feel differently, uh, in a family that is more of a conservative based um, uh, political belief system. Would you say that's mm-hmm. fair? Yes. And yep. I think that it's fair to say that you uh, have hewed more towards that uh, type of belief while I have gone far afield and uh, am just mm-hmm. a, a a nasty liberal. Well, I, that's not really a fair, fair description, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I grew up in Southern Illinois. I was born and raised and I went to school there. And so my, uh, my level of experience, experiencing anything beyond the small bubble I was used to was quite limited unless we traveled to a big city or, you know, that sort of thing. But when I moved to D.C., it was um, it was obviously a culture shock. I mean, it's a different part of the country, but it was also a extremely larger, diverse population than I was used to. Mm-hmm. And I embraced it. And it was a great time in my life where I was able to think back about my upbringing and it, you know, my experiences when I first moved out here, you know, some were able to reinforce my beliefs and other things, you know, I, I was able to come to a different conclusion on what, you know, I mean, it growing up, things were black and white yep. and moving here. I, I learned that there was a level of gray when it came to certain things. So it was, um, so I, I think my level of um, conservative uh, thinking definitely uh waned the longer i moved out here now it's it's true of dc uh it's like you're one of the, it it's almost like 98 percent democrat registered voter or something like that maybe uh, not 98 uh, actually it's probably like 99.9 percent is that okay so it's pretty fucking high all right well i mean i just i will you know uh for those of you that can remember, uh, in 1984, when Ronald Reagan ran the landslide, won the landslide presidential election against Walter Mondale, Walter Mondale only won two two areas. He won Minnesota, where he was mm-hmm. from, and he won, he won District of Columbia. So yeah. that kind of tells you the the, the, uh, the how large the Democratic Party is in D.C. I try to I try to forget that landslide victory actually. So. Um, that's fine. Uh, anyway, the point being, remind me to send you a picture in my Bush, uh, Reagan reelection t-shirt. Oh, please. Wait, yeah, that sounds, video. that sounds really great. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll put that up on the wall. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Um, and you having lived out there for, you know, uh, a while, you have been working in the political world. Is that fair to say? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, what we're the main thing we're going to talk about today, uh, as you know, is is January sixth, and you're one of the first people I spoke of when, or excuse me, thought of when that was going on, and it got me to thinking. Uh, you and I have always talked a little bit of politics, and we've been cordial about it. We have different opinions, etc. 
And I got to thinking, okay, well, Jen is out there and I knew you were safe, but I thought, you know, here's somebody who's worked in government for however many years. This person knows far more about democracy than I probably do. And I don't know if I've ever picked her brain about that. And that was, that was a overdue, but real uh, realization that I had. So, um, living in DC, you said two areas. Notice when you said, when you were talking about, uh, that time that the devil won again, you said two, <laughs> two areas, right? So one state and then DC, DC is not a state, right? You are correct. We are a, uh, some of us refer to, uh, DC that live here as the last colony. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we are, uh, a district. We are not a state. So, um, does that mean that basically how, how are laws made there? So we have what is called limited home rule, which means that we have a city council, which is elected by the residents. Um, so think of them as kind of like a house of representatives in a sense. So they pass laws. Um, we have a mayor, uh, but because we are home, we, we are over the federal government, meaning Congress, has to basically approve or disapprove of any legislation that we uh, want to pass. Wow. And you don't have a vote in Congress, right? You have a representative. We do not. We have a delegate. A delegate, excuse me. You know, I, uh -huh. so I often. She's, she ahead. sits on committees, uh, but she does not have a vote okay. on the floor of the, the House. You know, Brent often refers to me as his delegate. Thank you, Brent. <laughs> um, okay, so obviously, uh, in the First Amendment, uh, one of the things is is the the right for peaceful protest, right? And right. Uh, let's think of uh, the March on Washington in 1963, uh, seminal moment of of very positive peaceful protest, right? Uh, and what I'm trying to say is like a lot of this comes to DC. Now in May, 2020, um, we're all locked down with COVID. And mm -hmm. then there's the horrible uh, murder of George Floyd. And you guys, did you guys have a lot of um, protests, violence, anything like that? Uh, we did. Um, so yes, living in DC, we are basically where everybody comes to peacefully protest. That is, that is every American's right to protest. Uh, it is just something that a DC resident gets used to, right? I mean, it's just a way of life. You get mm -hmm. used to it. Um, as long as it's peaceful, you know, sometimes it gets annoying if they close a, a road or whatever, but I mean, it's just part of life. Um, but to your question about uh, the George Floyd, protest. Um, yeah. So here we are, uh, as you said, it's during COVID, uh, we are locked in our houses. Um, and this horrible incident happens and uh, people got, as everybody across the country saw it, people got pissed and rightly so. I mean, it was, it was disgusting what happened. Um, and much like other cities, D.C. was not immune to protest and they weren't immune to uh, violent protest. And so we witnessed uh, a lot of looting, a lot of fires. Um, personally, my neighbor lost a window in our condo building because a, a brick went through it. Wow. Um, across the street from my office, there's a bodega where, you know, you go in to get your coffee or whatever. His place was completely looted. So, I mean, there was a lot that had happened during that time. Mm -hmm. um, and unlike uh, other jurisdictions, and this goes back to we're not a state, um, another disadvantage that D.C. residents have is that we do not, we have a National Guard, but we, meaning the mayor and the city, cannot unilaterally call the National Guard. Who, and so who's able to call the national guard? Though? So it's, it's like a chain of command commands, right? Like it, it goes up a chain and I, I'm not all too sure what it is. Um, but it, I think it has to do with like, 
uh, people at the Pentagon, but I don't know who, like, is it the Secretary of the Army? I don't know exactly who it is. <clears throat> but nonetheless, up until 2020, it had never been an issue calling the National Guard when there had been civil unrest, because obviously you could see what was going on. Uh, nor did a, to my knowledge, nor did any administration unilaterally just decide to send troops into D.C. I could be wrong about that. But what we saw uh, in D.C. as a result of the protest was then President Trump uh, overreaching on uh, sending in military into D.C. to try to um, control the violence that had taken place over numerous nights. Do you mean military as in like not not the National Guard, but like branches of the military, like the army? Correct. So there I mean, there was national like there, the D.C. National Guard. He might have called up, you know, sometimes and that this happened in January 6th. But, you know, we will rely on the National Guard from Virginia or Maryland to come in. Mm -hmm. um, but there were also helicopters that were brought in from the military. Um, I might have sent you a video of it, but I mean, there were several helicopter, military helicopters flying over the city, um, and hovering over like, uh, pods of protesters, like dangerously close, um, to try to get them to disperse. And yeah, so that was, uh, and I'm, I'm sh pretty sure most people remember the military force that was used with the, they were actually peaceful protesters that cleared out a park by the white house. So mm -hmm. Trump could, uh, you know, stand and cross across the street from a church with the Bible. So, I mean, that was, which he held upside down. Correct. Which is how I hold my Bible. <laughs> yeah. Right. As I'm about to drop it. No, shut up, Kevin. Okay. Um, so live having lived in that area for so long, had you ever seen the military used in that way against peaceful protesters? Against peaceful protesters? No, I had seen the military used once before, and that was the day after 9-11. So remember, I, I, I lived in downtown on 9-11 as well. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. So we're obviously getting to a point where things are a little different than they were when you moved out to that area in 94. Mm -hmm. And... As long as I've known you, going back to the kind of the political stripe thing, you have been a registered Republican. Now, is that still the case? It is. And I will. I actually had this argument with my husband this morning. I am number one. It, it really does not matter in the District of Columbia for reasons right. I've already said. Mm -hmm. um, but if I did live in an area where my vote actually mattered, I would still be registered as a Republican if anything, just to vote in a primary to make sure that a Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't advance. Uh, that's funny. I don't election. never heard that name before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. That's oh, a kind way of. Yes. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That just made me think of my own vomit. Maybe you've heard me refer to her as other things. Yes. Maybe once or twice. Yeah. Uh, which which comes to, you know, we're we're joking, but there there's real, I think, frustration behind our joking when you went out there in, in the 90s, even in the early 2000s, uh, maybe very early 2000s, maybe pre-9-11, I mean, was it was it as divisive as it is now? Does it have that no, sense? absolutely not. No. Okay. No. And you work with lawmakers. Correct. And yep. so you, you're like where the sausage is being made, all that, right? And yes. do, you, do you feel that whatever the divisiveness that maybe out on the street, one person yelling at another person, are you seeing that transfer over into the halls of Congress as well, where it's not as cordial or. Uh, oh, well, yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think you need to have my position to walk the halls of Congress to see that. I mean, I think you just need to watch the nightly news and just see the rhetoric that's being thrown between the two sides. It's, it's, uh, it's quickly becoming a, a a broken system to which nothing is going to happen. So do you think we've become used to it already? We're inured to it or do you think there's a way that we could change it? You know, I, I, I I'm, I'm always hopeful, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of my upbringing is, you know, I believe in democracy and I believe in this country and I'm always optimistic. And I was very optimistic after the past, the, the, uh, midterm elections when, you know, 
the Republicans did not win the seats that they were supposed to win. And a lot of these election deniers didn't win. And it was just, it was, it was comforting to know that a lot of Americans are basically fed up with this bullshit and they didn't want it to continue. So um, I'm, I'm always hopeful that uh, we can turn it around. That's good. I, um, I, I, I try to be hopeful too. Uh, and then I watch the Cubs and then I become less hopeful. Well, Kevin, you and I could have another hour talking oh, about our, that'd our be the real lifelong. sad times right there. Yeah, for <laughs> That's sure. Right. Our grandmother, God, God rest her mm. soul. A uh, wonderful woman, uh, and a huge Cubs fan taught me everything I know about baseball. I love that woman. Um, okay. So let's get to then January 6th. Um, okay. We, I mean, there was that tweet that uh, former President Trump sent in December about uh, we're going to do this thing will be wild. So what what was kind of the buzz around the city leading up to January 6th? And what was your expectation of what may or may not happen? So we actually um, we had an idea of the lead up to this in D.C. because Trump had held rallies in D.C. before from the period between the election and January 6th, right? There was this long stretch of, he started with the rhetoric that the election was stolen and, you know, his Patriots came into town several, several times during that period. Uh, One particular time, you know, there was, it, it also got violent because there were uh, prod boys that were in town that um, got in fights with locals and, there was destruction of property again. So can I, um, sorry to interrupt you real fast question. When you say gotten fights with locals, like they're just yelling at them or physical yeah, fights. I mean, so DC is, you know, we, we can, we, we're not too rowdy, but, but you know, we're very proud of our city and don't fuck with it kind of thing. And, you know, right. kind of tired of the bullshit that we were living with as I always called the, the president as our neighbor because he literally lives right <laughs> down the street. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, you know, the election happened and it was like everybody in DC was collectively breathing a sigh of relief of like that shitty neighbor you've had for a couple of years has finally fucking decided to move. And so then you have this, you know, this, this lead up to it where he's ginning up these people. Um, and so there were, you know, there were a couple of uh, weekends that he had these patriots in town and they caused havoc. And there would be like skirmishes, uh, you know, with uh, locals, you know, that were walking and, you know, maybe a local said something that didn't set right and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so when he did release that tweet, it was a little unnerving because my mind immediately went to, knowing what January 6th was, which is when they certify the election and knowing that that was going to be his last chance to do, you know, to change the results Mm -hmm. or, and so, you know, but never believing what happened on January 6th, what happened. But I mean, it's set in the back of my mind that, oh, great, we're going to have these people here again and they're going to cause problems and great. And so as the time uh, came closer, um, you know, we as DC res- residents were advised, you know, if you're not working from home, you should probably work from home that day and um, <clears throat> do not engage with uh, people that are supportive of Trump and his efforts. It was just kind of like a, let's just not make the situation worse. Kind, kind of, of like, it's, just, it's almost like kind of don't just ignore it. As best you can. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that sort of thing. Let the police do what they need to do, sort of thing. And so, yeah. So here I am on January 6th. My husband and I are working from home, which thankfully didn't happen a lot during COVID because we would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> so he was working from home that day. And he is mildly political. And as you know, Kevin, I'm a political geek. So I'm, you know, watching. Right. Uh, the the uh, the House and the the Senate proceedings, mm-hmm. and he's in the den doing work, and and I'm uh, watching 
I should back up and I'm sorry to kind of jump around. No, you're good. As you know, I exercise every morning, right? And yes. so my, my route is the National Mall. And the day before is when I noticed, oh, great. There might be a lot of people here for this. When there was a semi parked on one of the streets that had like, it was like a, a, a store of like Trump gear that had started unloading. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, this, this might not be good. Like they were going to sell it out of, or the, the truck had Trump gear that was going to be sold. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, you'd go a couple more blocks and there'd be another stand and you're just like, uh, and then you'd, you'd see like more and more the red MAGA hats, people wearing them and you're like, okay. And then, so, you know, you're just kind of like, okay, still not thinking that January 6th was going to be what it was. And so here I am on January 6th and I'm working, but I'm also mindful of the TV and I'm watching the proceedings and I, I think I told you like they've got the proceedings on the big screen and over the corner, it's uh, the coverage of the protest mm -hmm. or Trump's speech. Right. And out of nowhere, the smaller picture is now the bigger picture where they're now covering the protest Mm -hmm. And I'm watching it and I'm I'm watching the people rushing the grounds of the Capitol. And then that's when the mayhem ensued. And I go in and I talk to my husband who knows that I can be a little hysterical on, on things and uh, a little anxious, have a little anxiety. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, you know, just calm down. It's not that big of a deal. This is D.C. The police know how to deal with it. And I'm like, no, no, no. So can I can I ask you, Jen, when you went in there? So as somebody who not only walks the mall every morning, uh, but also is on Capitol Hill often, what were the thoughts that you were having as you saw on your screen the small picture, now the big picture of people basically bar barging? not right, but it, breaking over barricades, all that stuff. Like, what were you thinking? I was thinking that this was not your typical protest. Right. But at that point, I still didn't think that it would get to the point that it was, that it got to. Um, and so as I'm continuing to watch this and the procedure procedures are still going on, on both in both chambers. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, the, the leaders are being taken out quickly. Mm -hmm. And then you're seeing people that are funneling through windows and that's when I went in and I told my husband, this is something very fucking serious. Um, and so we were watching it just completely flabbergasted. And I, I don't know if I told you this or not, but because 2020 had been so challenging, not going to lie, the alcohol consumption was a bit brisk in 2020. Yes. So, so my brisk is a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So my husband and I decided that we were going to do a dry January. Okay. Always been a goal. We were going to try to do it, try to, you know, air out the liver for the month. Sure. And then, you know, we made it until like, what, noon on January 6th. Mm -hmm. At that point, my husband was like, open up the wine. So we're sitting here. Um watching this in just total disbelief. And then I start thinking about all of the staff members that I work with that I not only work with, but they've become friends. So there was a concern that what's happening to them? Where are they? Are they okay? Are they in harm's way? And so I reached out to several uh, members of uh, either a congressman, congresswoman, or a senator just, are you okay? Is every, are you okay? Now, granted, uh, because it was COVID, there was a limited number of staff people that were there that day. However, there were several of uh, my friends that were up there that were barricaded in their offices that were scared. Uh, one in particular uh, was texting me back saying that she that he was hiding underneath a desk. So it was, wow. it was scary and it was, um, thankfully none of them were harmed, but I mean, nonetheless, there was a real fear for people that I know and care for as friends, not just colleagues, but I was concerned for their well-being. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, these people that you were emailing your, your friends and colleagues, 
could they hear uh, people in the Capitol, like uh, going through? Um, it never got to that level of uh, questioning because okay. I didn't want to. Yeah, you didn't want to bombard them. Like, them. I did want to bombard them. Yeah. My my goal was just to check in to make sure that they were okay. And once that was, you know, confirmed, then I just kind of let it be. Now, but I mean, I have talked to uh, a friend of mine who was up there and said that it was she was really fearful that it might be the last day of her her life. I mean, there was that sense of fear. What are these people going to do? So, you know, in. Again, you studied poli sci. Uh, you referred to yourself a few minutes ago as a political geek. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've always known you to be a lover of politics, and uh, unfortunately, you just you know have that Reagan shirt. But uh, what what is going through your head in the sense that okay, I know that my friends and colleagues, at least at this moment, are okay. But what about that building? Right. The, and, right. And, and like, what so what are you was, thinking then? So. It was morally devastating for me. I mean, it's not uh, not just because I am, a, you know, I work here, I live here, this is my home, but it's also a appreciation and true understanding of what that building is and what that building means to this country. It's it's the people's house, and to see it ambushed like that uh, and it, it was just, and it still is, it's, it's devastating and it still bothers me today to watch. I, I get very upset when I see, um, any pictures or videos from that day, because it takes me back to just a really bad place. And, and um, I mean, how, how long was it until you could do your, your walk on the mall again? Were you able to do it the next day or were security? Wa- so I have a very good girlfriend who um, is also in government affairs um, and she lives on Capitol Hill. Okay. And so she and I are known to go for long walks and just bullshit. And so we texted each other that, that morning and said, let's, let's just get out and let's, let's go for a walk and kind of, you know, and so I went to meet her, um, on Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, and as I'm walking down, I'm literally still in my neighborhood and there are still Trump supporters with their MAGA hats and they're wearing the American flags around their, their shoulders. And it was just another, just, I can't believe the audacity of this. And so, um, just like they had done absolute, like what they did was not only acceptable, it was justified. It was just, it was unbelievable. And so when I met my, so they were proud. Oh yeah. They were absolutely Mm -hmm. proud. Clearly they were still wearing the MAGA stuff Yeah, and, and walking around and, you know, high-fiving each other and, and so my friend and I actually walked down to the Capitol grounds just to see how it looked, just to make, you know, and it was still standing, which is the most important thing. And uh, so, yeah. Um, and, you know, you say, sorry, you, you have said that it's really hard for you to see videos from that day, but. Then, <clears throat> starting at the beginning of the summer of 2022, uh, there were mm-hmm. there was the co- uh, congressional subcommittee, and there were hearings. And if not all of them, I'd say most of them, I was able to watch. And you and I uh, texted back and forth during it. Right. And I don't know about you, but I started watching that, and um, I was just blown away. <laughs> I was blown away by. What appeared to be uh, I, the inaction, I guess I'll say the inaction. So, as somebody who works in, uh, you know, with the government, who loves democracy, who who um, has always been a political geek, what were you what were you thinking when you were watching these hearings, and what were your big takeaways? Well, I mean, uh, that's um. There were so many things. I mean, each hearing brought something new to light and mm-hmm. each thing was more troublesome. Um, 
I mean, what, what, uh, the, before they really started the hearings, I don't know if you recall, they had the police officers that were, um, witnesses. The, uh, Capitol police officers. So they were, so, well, that, that's another problem that we had on January 6th. And it goes back to DC not being a state. So, uh, the initial response, obviously on January 6th, the Capitol police, clearly they were the first line of defense. That's, their territory. And then when they were overcome very quickly, it was the DC Metropolitan Police that went up to provide assistance. And those men and women fought for hours while we were begging as a city, the mayor, we were begging, even uh, even congressional leaders were begging the Pentagon to police and in the National Guard, this has got to stop. And they waited. How many hours did they determine that they waited until they were finally given the okay to come in to help? I don't recall, so, but a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I mean, that that's an interesting and not to kind of, I'm, I feel like I'm going all over the place here, but I mean, that's a, a great comparison of this is disparity between the Trump years here in DC. When you looked at what happened on during the George Floyd and the mass um just over zealous just too much military the response was just ridiculous versus what happened on january 6 which was nothing mm-hmm. so it was um it was pretty telling yeah i mean that's that is quite um yes those two things put side by side it really brings it into a stark perspective right um, so you're watching this now I do this, th- <laughs> I do this thing. So I live in Chicago and every once in a while, good old Chicago will be featured in something, right? We're just still trying to be in New York. Although I did just hear, uh, Bruce McCulloch say, uh, Chicago is the city that New York thinks it is. And that made me really oh, happy. Nice. Uh, but I'll like see parts of Chicago. And I was like, Oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. How surreal was it for you? Living in downtown DC, very how how many blocks are you from the Capitol? Um, six six blocks. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how surreal was it as you're watching this testimony? They're talking about parts of the town that you live in, right? Uh, so there was one hearing in particular, and it was the hearing where um, they were talking about the day of the. Uh, they were talking about the day and uh, Trump was delivering his speech and he got in the car demanding to go up to the Capitol. And he was told by a secret service agents that that was just not going to happen, but they had predetermined a route to take him up to the Capitol, which would have been two blocks South of where I live. And so when I'm hearing the cross streets on the congressional hearing, I was like, Oh shit, (laughs) that was really close. Wow. Yeah. So. Uh, And I have to imagine the same way that you said earlier that you guys get, oh, well, it's D.C. We're used to protest. You must at this point be used to motorcades, too, right? Well, that's that's the thing, right? I mean, living in D.C., it is not uncommon to be stopped even as a a pedestrian because of a motorcade. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're used to we're used to protest. We're used to motorcades. But the idea that. On January 6th, there was there could have potentially been a motorcade of the president driving two blocks south of my house to go up to the cap. It was a little unnerving. So. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say yeah. so. Which, uh, Brent, take a note here. We need to get a motorcade. Okay, thank <laughs> you. So you're hearing all these streets that are like two blocks away from you. Uh, obviously, you're six blocks away from uh, the Capitol building, which uh, if there it stands as a symbol – of so much. And I remember in that 2006 visit, Jen, uh, when I visited you and your husband, we were on your rooftop of your condo building. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. I was like, Hey, I don't, I don't understand why there aren't any tall buildings. And you're, yeah. you're like, Hey, dipshit. Uh, it's because the, nothing could be taller than the Capitol. And that, I think that was the first time I'd heard that. And I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So the reverence is, is all the way down to the architecture. Right. True. Very true. They don't want to lose the uh, skyline. Mm-hmm. 
being dwarfed by big buildings. And so we 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 go to these hearings. Not we go to. We're watching these hearings, and then all of a sudden, it seemed to be like you know women were coming out to tell the story, and um, kind of the story that. We, I suppose, I'll speak for myself. I always assumed was something was going on weird, but maybe not. How did you feel watching that as as these these women came forward and and told that story? I just, I mean, I don't think I don't think pride is the the right word for it, but a, a true appreciation. And I mean, you know, I I've always believed that women are the stronger sex, <laughs> so leave it to the women to you know. I tend to believe, or uh, excuse me, I tend to agree with that. To be the the truth in in what happened when you had all of these men who, even today, continuing to protect Trump in what happened that day. Mm-hmm. So, wh- but I mean, you even look at like somebody like Congressman Liz Cheney, who I know you don't particularly care for policy wise, but I think you can appreciate what she did. I, uh, most certainly. Yes. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're, you're watching the hearings. Did I want to go back a little bit? Like when you, after January 6th, just a reminder to everybody, that was exactly two weeks to the day before, uh, the inauguration of president Biden. Right. So what was it like in that city for two weeks between January 6th and the inauguration? So knowing we were going to have this conversation, I, I double checked it. But uh, on the day of the on the day of the inauguration, uh, we had twenty six thousand troops in the streets of D.C. And so wow. given the proximity of where my husband and I live, uh, we were our street is a, a main as a well-known street and. We live on the north side of the street, but the south side of the street was what was in uh, the red zone, which meant that there was no uh, traffic, uh, very limited uh, pedestrian traffic. Uh, Residents were advised to carry their IDs with them at all times to prove where they lived. Um, But every intersection uh, had either uh, it had a military uh, vehicle of some sort, whether it was a tank or a Jeep. Uh, And then there were, as I said, 26,000 men and women in our streets armed. I'm trying to picture that. Um, Well, I mean, it was well-documented. I mean, if you just do a Google search. Well, I guess what I mean by... I'm sorry. But I mean, it was, this is the thing that um, troubles me is, and I know that I I take this particular time period around January 6th and the inauguration a little bit more, um, it's it's more sensitive to me than most, um, one, because of my job and two, because of where I live. But I often uh, wonder for those that don't, weren't here or didn't witness it in live it i I just i don't think it i don't think that it hits like it hits people that live here um because you're so far removed you perhaps don't know the buildings or the streets it it maybe some people look at it as like it was it was just so surreal and so i it bothers me when people don't appreciate or understand how horrible that day was and and um you know hearing people that are interviewed and they try to whitewash it or they try to you know blow over it because you know get over it type of thing it's just it's it's really upsetting yeah and i believe that um was it the rnc who came out at some point and called it quote legitimate uh political discourse yeah, among other things. But yeah. Um and uh you know, we because it happened in DC, this is where the people that are being charged are being, you know, this is where their court is. And so a lot of people are being held 
in the DC jail, which I'm not going to pretend it's a nice place to go, but uh, every night in DC, there are J6 sympathizers that are standing in vigil outside the DC jail. And I'm just, it's with like signs and stuff like a, like a oh, quiet yeah, protest candles and candles and signs and, you know, they're political prisoners and they need to be released. And so. How do you, um, and then, uh, somebody you mentioned earlier who I'd never heard of Marjorie Taylor green. Um, I heard that, uh, she went to visit the prisoners or something. Oh yeah. So that was a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, that was, that's another great thing with this current house of representatives is, uh, some of these election deniers, um, are now placed on prominent committees of jurisdiction. And one of them is oversight of which, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a member and she has been a long critic of how these people have been treated. And so, yeah, she demanded from our mayor to take a tour of the DC jail to visit mm. the prisoners, to check in, to make sure that their iPads were working correctly, I suppose. Hey, Brent, could you pull that dictionary off the shelf there? Can you just grandstanding? Can you just look that up for me? Okay, cool. Um, okay. So, and, and you just said something we haven't really talked about, which is election deniers. Uh-huh. Um, and as, Again, all of this shit that has happened has made me, and I think it's true of a lot of people, uh, appreciate more of what we have, right? Because you're you're about to lose it. Um, as somebody who's worked with elected representatives for uh, a long time, how does that compute in your head? Election denialism. I don't. I don't understand it. I. I really. I don't. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to understand it. Um, I, this is a place that I've never thought of. I, I will tell you the one thing that has another thing that has really bothered me about this as somebody that has lived here, uh, on September 11th, and then somebody that lived here on January 6th is the response from the American people. So on November 11th, the entire country was completely united. You couldn't walk two feet without seeing an American flag. We were all patriotic. We we were proud Americans. And then you look at January 6th and something like that that you think would cause the American people to wake up and go, this is some fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. It was more of a, we were just as divided. And I think what bothers me is the fact that those were American citizens that did that on January 6th. And the fact that there was one individual that was able to convince these people of a lie. Uh, it's just, an, I don't know how to explain it. I really, I just don't understand how we got to this point and how it still continues. Well, I would invite our listeners or anybody to Google narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, that could be one reason. Um, yeah. So. I mean, Kevin, for the first time, it's since the 1800s, there, there were people that stormed the United States Capitol. Right. And in the midst of it, there was a man carrying a Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? How did we get here? Propaganda works uh, is the very uh, one of the simple answers that is actually very complex, and uh, and also you know it, you hear it a lot, but it's true. Why our system is so um wonderful, stellar, whatever you want to call it. One of the main reasons is the peaceful transfer of power. The, like, I lost, you won, I'm going to be at your inauguration, and we're going to just pass it on, and away we go. Uh, um, so, uh, it, it sounds like, Jen, I that this was pretty traumatic for you. It still is. And why do you think it's still, tell me why you think it still is. Because it's still going on, right? I mean, it's still happening. 
you've still got, even in the midterms, you had election deniers and, you know, and I, and I'm fearful for what's going to happen in, in 24, you know, does Trump get the nomination? If he does, does he win? I don't think so, but I didn't think he was going to win in 2016. Mm. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a sad state of it. I mean, it's just, it's incredibly sad because for a long time I had my dream jobs and I still do. Uh, I, I still walk through the halls of Congress with a sense of pride and just an appreciation of what I'm able to do and who I'm able to talk to and just walking down a hallway, realizing the footsteps that have been there before me. I recognize all of that and I appreciate it, but I also have to wonder how long is it going to last? And it's just it's upsetting. It's and something just, that you probably never think, go ahead. Sorry. Well, it's, it's no, it's somebody asked me um, the other day how DC was. And I was like, DC is predictably unpredictable at this point. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But so. I, I imagine when you moved out there to, to start working in the political arena uh, and all the time, you never thought this, you, you, you didn't imagine something like this would occur. No, I don't think anybody ever thought something like this would occur. Did you ever think growing up, you don't have to be a political junkie, but did you ever think that you would at some point in time see a group of Americans ransack the Capitol because they were pissed off that their man didn't win an election? No, absolutely not. Now, yeah. I, I they may ransack like a fast food restaurant for a chicken right. sandwich or something. But sure. Yeah. yeah. That's just America, but not that, yeah. not the Capitol. Right. So I... You, you, um, you have your colleagues who work on the Hill, how, and I know you're not speaking for anybody else, but like, is there still a sense of, um, uh, traumatic or, or dread for people who are working there or have people been able to move past it, even if they feel a sense that the overarching problem is still there? Um, I, I'm not going to pretend or even guess what other people are, are thinking, yeah. I mean, I can speak for myself that the first time that I went into the rotunda after this all happened, it, 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 I had to stop for a minute to take it in. Um, or sure. anytime I go through, anytime you go into a congressional building, you have to go through a metal detector and you look at the men and women that are Capitol Hill police and you just look at them with a, a different type of respect for what they went through. Or even when I'm walking down the street and I see a DC police officer, I mean, there's that recognition of, Thank you. Yeah. You know, uh, Jen, uh, again, I've learned in the last couple of years, uh, I always say I'm the, the kid who perpetually has to touch the stove to learn that it's hot. And this has been kind of that version of that a little bit uh, for America. But it, what I've learned is more about democracy and what democracy actually means. It's not what I learned in civics class, although that is part of it, but it's having conversations exactly like you and I are having right now. I think that yeah. is the backbone of this, that and um, uh, a free and impartial media, but we're not going to get into that. Um, no, I, but I will say, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think that that's what we are missing is our inability to talk to each other. Right. Is we just seem to be painted on squarely on opposite sides with the inability to talk to the other person. And I know that I'm just as guilty as anybody of that. You know, mm -hmm. last year I refused to go to my high school reunion because I knew I was going to run into people that it, this would just be an issue. And I just did not want to deal with it. Or if I, <clears throat> I've had run ins with people wearing MAGA hats in DC, which probably wasn't the smartest thing, but. There's that inability I just shut down when I know that there is that other side that I just am convinced that they cannot be swayed. And I think that that's the problem is we've lost that inability of having much like you and I used to have, Kevin, and we still do, which is that thoughtful consideration of other people's beliefs. Um, you might not agree, but you don't have to be angry and combative about it either. And if anything, I hope that at some point we're able to return back to a time when we can have thoughtful conversations. The word compromise isn't filthy and mm. mm -hmm. we can just get along. 
man, that it's so true. And you know better than most. It, governance does not happen without compromise. Is is that a fair statement? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's but there isn't any. Right. Exactly. So governance is is not necessarily happening. Um. So no, this is they're lucky if they can get the bare minimum done at this point. Could you just talk to them about them naming a post office after me and Brent? Please. Um, I love post yeah, offices. Maybe. I, I was at once a stamp collect collector briefly. Philologist. So were you really? Yeah. I said that wrong. Um, you know who else was? FDR. Right. Oh. Yeah. Well, I believe Kevin, so. we were having such a nice discussion. We don't need to take it back to FDR. <laughs> because then I'll start throwing out Reagan and then, you know. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, God. Oh, sweet Jesus. And now for our don't number two. Don't let me bring up Margaret Thatcher. Don't, <laughs> don't you fucking bring, bring up Margaret Thatcher. Uh, and now for our number two, uh, Jen and Kevin scream at each other about the New Deal. <laughs> And then we hug it out at the end. And then we hug it out at the end because that's what you're supposed to do. You can have emotions. Exactly. You can have passion about stuff. But at the end of the day, you are my cousin. You're one of my favorite people. You're somebody that no matter if we disagree 100 years from now on politics, that doesn't matter about our relationship. And I think that is something that, to what you were saying, is kind of missing. Yeah, I think we just all need to recognize that we're human beings. And mm -hmm. uh we all have to share this earth and this country and let's just be a little considerate of other people. Yeah. Um, you know, as we wrap up, Jen, is there anything else? I know we covered a lot today. Um, and I know you, you, you said a lot of wise things, but is there anything else that you wanted to kind of share with, with everybody before we kind of wrap up? Um, just make sure you register to vote. <laughs> Yeah. A quick story about Jen. Um, the primaries or the, the original election for the mayor of Chicago uh, happened a couple months ago. And I got a text from Jen, who are you voting for? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I've never voted for uh, mayor in Chicago. And uh, Jen, rightfully so, gave me some shit about that. And so when we had our runoff, I did and I did a little research and then I went and voted and I felt much better for it. And so I thank you for that, Jen. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very glad that you made your voice heard. Uh, in the end, that's what it's about, right? That's democracy. That's, that's a big part of it. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Um, and your guy won. So there you yeah, go. Damn right. He did. Yay. Brandon Johnson. I was, it might've been that one vote, Kevin. It might have been that one vote that set him over the edge. I it, don't think it so, might've, I mean, this isn't go the 1876. Okay. I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Brent, get me a parade. God damn it. I want ticker tape. <laughs> Okay. I want a Ferris Bueller type parade for you. Oh, well, as long as I can sing the Beatles, you're damn right. Oh, God, no. That's, ah! that's, the, <laughs> that's, the, that's the third podcast one. Oh, she doesn't. We, well, so I, we'll, have the, we'll have the Reagan versus FDR, and then the next one we will do the Beatles and how much they sucked. Uh, at least one. At least one. You, hey, shut up, Brent. Shut up. Uh, Jen? Yeah. You be quiet, too. Um, I will. Oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, Jen, thank you so much for taking the time, Absolutely. sharing, a, a, I think, a very singular story that I probably most people would not have heard if you did not have the the time and generosity to come out and tell your story. I really, really appreciate it. Um, it is certainly a seminal day for probably all the wrong reasons in American history. And you are somebody, as I said, who I respect very much, who understands a lot about democracy in ways that I never have. And I, I just look up to you for, for living your values as you believe them to be. So thank you so much for, for taking the time today. Well, Kevin, thank you for giving me the space to, uh, to share my thoughts on it. And uh, I will just close on my end with something that you said earlier uh, this hour, which was uh, we learn from history. Yes. Right. So if we don't continue to talk about it, it might happen again. So. So true. So, so true. And I will just end with the same thing that I always do. Jen just said, you know, we're all trying to share this earth together. We're all human beings, which means we fuck up all the time. Just remember, there's always room for kindness and grace, especially 
uh, where I forget when it's with yourself. So just remember, there's always room for kindness and grace. Jen, thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. It's always good to talk to you. And you. And uh, we'll see everybody uh, next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.